I made it through the wilderness. Well, if her debut album got her noticed, then it could be said that Like a Virgin cemented Madonna as a household name and a pop powerhouse. Now, it's not as consistent as her first album, I don't care what any of you say, but the singles from this work are legendary. And along with a skyrocketing fascination in the woman herself, they managed to move the album Like a Virgin into the stratosphere. It remains one of the highest selling albums of all time. Join us as we retro review the album Like a Virgin. And to do so, I'm joined by a trusty panel and, of course, my adult sidekick, Megs. Hey, Megs. Hello. Hey, Megs. This album was released 18 years Mm. before you were born. Oh, right. And now I'm 18, so that's a bit strange. I know. It's so weird, isn't it? So 36 years. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not good at maths. I I think so. 18, I'll say it again. 18 years before you were born. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And if it is 36 years since this was released, then that is just eye-watering. Yeah, I'm sorry. I should have brought that up. I'll tell you. But you do have something in common with this album, Mix. What? You both excited hordes of teenage girls. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'll I'll take that one. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Megs. Uh, Chad, welcome to Time to Talk again. Thank you. You want to remind people about the fan page that you run, Chad? Sure. uh, Check out Madonna Vintage on uh, Facebook or Twitter. It's a good page. It's a very, very good page. And let's welcome Lee. Uh, Lee may have a very British accent, but he's actually from the United States, Megs. Welcome, Lee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. If, if we're going with that story, let's go with that story. <laughs> yeah. Some people um, might have to listen to previous podcasts to get the reference. Yeah, yeah. Good on you, Lee. What time is it over there in London? It, it is just coming up to 11.30 at Oh, night. there you go. I thought the British went to bed quite early with a cup of tea and a bicky. <laughs> yeah, normally we do, but, you know, for Madonna, we'll stay, you, we'll I'm stay away. I'm supposing you've got a little, you know, mug of Horlicks next to you and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a crumpet. <laughs> and finally, it's the man who would delete every part of history if he disagreed with it, and if he had half a chance, Rocco. Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Rocco. Are you excited to talk about Like a Virgin? Yeah, I am. Awesome. Where does it rate, Rocco, for you in the in the Madonna landscape? It's pretty... I don't want to say it's at the lowest, but it's pretty low down on the list. I think this album is highly imperfect. There are a lot of songs that I love, but I think that the filler make it even more apparent that there's filler on it because the album is so short. It's only nine tracks. So, you know, I I have some issues with it, but I also really love a lot of the stuff on it, too. I've got to say, I'm confused about this album. Um, is yeah. Into the Groove on it? Is it not on it? How many versions no. are there? I'm oh, so confused because yeah. Rocco just it. said it's a short album and it seemed to be a short album when I was researching this and obviously I know the album quite well anyway. But then there was all these other ones and I don't know. We've, I can't. We do track by track. I can't even do it because I don't know what the tracks oh. are. It was originally the B-side to the Angel single. They thought that Angel was going to be the big single, but Into the Groove ended up outshining it. And then they added it as an international bonus track. So it was never released on the American edition, but in 1985 they reissued it um, outside of America with Into the Groove. I think it was track six on the album. 
Yeah, and I don't know if it's just because I always knew it from the U.S. release, but it just it seems to me like Into the Groove is just not a song that should be on this album. I don't know if that's because I never knew it to be on the album, but it just feels like not like this album as much as it's one of her best songs ever. It fits for me, but maybe that's just because I got used to the idea of it being in there. And it just went so well in the US and, and Britain. So, yeah, I love this. Song. And how fascinating to hear what Rocco yeah, just had to say there. Like, yeah, I mean, how could you release Angel and stick into the groove as a B-side? Truly, yeah, to God. It that, is, that's, it is criminal. defies any logic at all. I would say, yeah, I always I got the the 1985 reissue in the UK. So Into the Groove has always been on the album for me. So mm. uh, yeah, I I've always I'm used to it being there. Who can give us a little bit of background about Like a Virgin, the album? Go well, ahead. this is her second studio album. Um, I believe she started working on this as soon as she was done with her first album. She worked with Niall Rogers. She brought Steve Bray back for this album. Um, a lot of the songs that they worked together on her first demo, songs like um, Stay and I think Pretender, uh, were from her early demos that made it onto this album. Um, she decided to do some ballads this time. She... Uh, decided that she wanted to stretch her wings and, you know, expand her horizons a bit musically. Um, Niall actually to told this story in an interview once. He said that when he was working with her, he saw that she had to sleep on the floor of her apartment or something in New York. And he said that he felt bad for her that she had to sleep on the floor and that she didn't have a, a bed or whatever. So this was still fairly early on in her um, journey. I mean, we think of it now as an album that made her a huge success and a huge star and it did but when we think of this album we think superstardom but when she was making it she hadn't quite got there yet and what i know is that she really wanted artistic freedom for this she didn't want a repeat of the reggie lucas um debacle um so she was really worried about that and but they didn't grant her artistic freedom at this point she said they were sexist and misogynist and she fought for it right she, she wanted to right. she didn't want with nile rogers anywhere near the pro well <laughs> she didn't early. want a producer yeah, she, she wanted, wanted to be the producer and she yep. said they were yep. misogynist and treated her as a little girl and but she was trying to prove herself the whole time. But then it was good that she um, found Noel Rogers because they just loved each other. They admired each other. And so it was a really good creative. Uh, and I think she selected him because she was like, it was like a consolation yes. prize. No, you cannot produce this. You're not bankable. There's, we, yeah. You're a product. that This is the record company. So therefore, you're going to have a producer. But I think the consolation was she got to sort of audition them in a way yes. and, and find the right person. And, and he uh, had worked with David Bowie and he was amazing. And, and he just admired her. He had seen her in a club um, when she wasn't even famous, when she was a nobody before the first album. Mm. And he said that he loved her from the first moment. Yeah, and he sort of got a tinge of, I'm going to work with this lady at yeah, some stage. So she's going to be a star. <laughs> sort, of, sort of premonition almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, one of my favorite things about this uh, record is the, the image of her during this time and the actual album cover. Um, so, so a lot of fans, like the two big photographers of Madonna to, to her fans are like her Brits and Steven Mizell. And it's not that you have to make a choice, but I'm way more in the Steven Mizell camp. And he did this album cover for her, which I think is so powerful. And 
I think this is the first time that she had that level of power tied to image, which of course she would take through her entire career. But um, to me, it's really tied to Susan and Desperately Seeking Susan as well, which would come out, you know, after this album. But that whole era is like so fine tuned in terms of like a really powerful image. The album cover is that Catholicism yep. mixed with the sexuality, mixed yeah. with the innocence. The virgin birth. A yes, boy debutante. She was playing on her name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then a boy so great. And she had the crucifix earrings that she wore too during that time. Yeah. And through the whole era, she seemed to be wearing crucifix at her tours and um, in the Like a Virgin video clip. It's just all over the place. Very provocative. The rosary beads. Yes. The, yeah. Lee, with all with the greatest of respect, and I don't know why I'm even saying and prefacing this question like that because there is nothing wrong with being elderly. However, <laughs> you, you might be one of the only people on the line who might have a memory of when this album was released. We're talking about her image at the time. Do you mm. recall, like, this 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 image was uh, very powerful in yeah. influence on pop culture. It was, and, and it, it, was, it kind of, when it hit the UK, it became like every, every girl dressed like Madonna. So they had the like little fishnet gloves and the rags in the hair and the, um, you know, the, the crucifixes and stuff. And even the boys were kind of going, going down that road. I remember, get, I, see, when I was in my youth, we used to get albums for like birthdays and Christmases. You didn't get them in between. Yes. So um, when I got this album, um, my grandmother, bless her, was more. She was like, "Why is why is she not wearing a top? Why has she got her? Why is her <laughs> underwear out?" Um, so yeah, it was quite provocative, and it was like, "Oh, grandma, yeah, whatever." Um, <laughs> Didn't you used to dress like that, Granny? <laughs> yeah, joined the war. And what I've read from, I've read a lot about her image, and basically everyone's saying she wanted to be highly attractive, but also demonstrate that she was attracted to other people too and she'd get what she wanted it tells a story too because the back cover is a continuation of the front cover so it, it's interesting how it's not just a photograph about a look and in and a dress and an outfit it's it's very much trying to tell a story through imagery with the album she was mm. saying in her interviews at the time, if you go back to this era on YouTube and, and, and look, and I recall her saying it at the time, God damn it, I am going to cement myself with this album. She was literally saying it. Like mm. Donald Trump, she'd just say what came into her brain. I'm going to rule the world. <laughs> I'm going to cement myself. This is the album that will prove myself for, ye for yeah. years to come. She literally would say, I want to be known for years to come, not a flash in the pan, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. She was saying it, and it was true. She knew something in fascinates me about madonna I, I feel like she always knew that she was going to be on this incredible journey that she's had because oh yeah she, and in, and in downtown new york it. like she would walk around saying that stuff all the time and debbie mazar had a great interview where she was saying that she she knew her from the clubs and she was a complete nobody and she would just say oh i'm gonna be the biggest thing and and debbie said she would just be like oh oh yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> like people, not everyone even took her seriously, but I mean, that's really what helped her achieve it. 
yet, Chad, at the, on the flip side of that, there are other people who, whether or not they selective memory, but they say when they met her, they could tell that there was something about her that was going to oh, be yeah. big as well. I think also when when you live in a place like New York City, which you know Debbie Mazars from uh, Brooklyn, I think, and I th- and she worked at Danceteria, so I think she probably saw personalities saying stuff like that all the time. You know, and right. that's what I because I, yeah. I saw that same interview that Chad just mentioned, and I and that's what I got from it. I got from it that she was like, oh, okay, here's just another girl with a dream, you know, and Definitely. it's difficult to it's difficult to tell in a city like New York because there's so many talented people that are like seeing in subway stations and stuff, and you know, so you don't know who's gonna make it and who's not gonna make it. So it just becomes, I think, second nature to just hear people say that stuff when you live there. You're absolutely right. In her field, that's right. But the fans, the fans always know. They just do. Like I, I, I can talk about myself and so many others like me. We picked Kylie out well before she'd even uh, joined Neighbours, which was her first huge success. We picked her out of smaller parts in shows and went, she's the one. And many of Madonna's longest-term fans will say the same thing. They knew that there was something uh, very, very special and enduring about this particular star. It's just fascinating. I swear I would have, though, because music's just, it's more than just the singing and the dancing. It's like the aura that you have and the energy and the passion. And Well, you that. and I do it now. We usually pick the, the people that release new yes. music now and go, this one is, you, know, you can just mm. tell which ones are going to be the real deal and which yes. ones have produce something nice in the moment but they're not going to endure and like we said like with this album she'd exploded onto the scene and she just wanted to cement where she was and Mm. prove that she was not just a one-hit wonder and she she said she wanted to have no fillers she wanted them to all be hits because she said something silly she said on the first album that the songs weren't very strong or that they were weak or something and i was like however she was not particularly happy with the level of a control yes. of the creative process so she looks back on that with a different lens to yes. to you and I for example yes. and she knew she could do better but the product yes that's right and and it's the right mentality it mm. just defends me because the product is so good but i guess she was just getting into that mindset that mm. i need to be better and bigger mm. every single time we're so digressing but it's it's such a good conversation hey lee i'm fascinated to know as do you mind me calling you the elderly man on the line that's well, you know, in, uh, you know, uh, it's a long way for me to come and slap you. So, you know, carry on. <laughs> what attracted you to Madonna back in the day? Like you're listening to all of this and I'm telling Megs, this 18 year old, that you just, you get a magnetism about some people. Did you have that with Madonna? Yeah, she was kind of like my first kind of major pop star obsession we'd had we'd had her in the uk when she'd like done lucky star and she came over with i think it was her brother and another female that danced with them and she kind of gave off this really kind of like i don't really care whether you like me or not i'm just going to do what i want to do um and it was quite refreshing it was kind of like well you know, and she'd be on, you know, t- TV shows, and it was as if she, she, they, we were doing her a favour by having her in the country. It was, it was that kind of attitude mm. of like, you know, mm. I'm, I know I'm good, uh, but if you don't like me, I don't really care. No wonder so many particular communities, especially back in that era responded to her because that was their life story as well i am Mm. desperate to be the person i need to be and i would love to put a big up yours to everybody even though that's really hard for some people day to day especially back in the uh, 80s Mm. um you know a lot of people were repressing who they actually were and then you see somebody who is 
flamboyantly and openly and um, aggressively themselves without any apology. Mm. Let's talk about Like a Virgin. I wanted to ask something, though, first, before we get into track by track. And I don't know if maybe Lee or maybe you, Tim, can speak to this. But at that point in her career, she had a lot of kids, a lot of young people that were fans of her. Did they did those kids understand or get the way that the provocative nature of the imagery or of the way the songs or the way she dressed or anything, because, you know, Lee told a story about his grandmother, you know, flipping out over the cover or whatever. Did the kids understand what the adults were getting so upset about? I don't, I don't think as a kid we did. I think it depends on your age. Um, Looking back on it now and you look back on the videos, yes, you can clearly see the kind of sexuality that she was portraying. But as a kid, you just kind of, you like the music, you like the look of of the singer. And that's kind of about it. I think it was more of the press saying that, that, that made sort of parents go, oh, well, you know, she's, she's, she's perhaps not the best role model for people. Yeah. I love listening to you, Lee. I, I feel like I'm listening to Jerry Halliwell's brother. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's just awesome. I, I've got to say, I, I, I agree with what Lee just said in response to you there, Rocco. But when Like a Virgin, the single came out, Lee, I mean, yeah, it was yeah, I, 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 certainly finding it too much. I think I knew what a virgin was, but I wasn't quite sure. And you kind of like pretended that you knew when you were at school and you were discussing it. You're like, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think I really knew. And Lee? What? <laughs> <laughs> See, he's getting suspicious of me. Yes, I'm not I about to say it. anything bad. I promise. I'm just going to say for the for the young people, join with me, align with me here, Lee. A lot of uh, people of our era reached for something called a dictionary, and you'd have to, you know, haul it out of the library, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, and then go. Well, I think it was divided into A to L, and then L to Z, and yeah, a lot of people were looking up the word virgin. You're 100 percent right. Mm-hmm. There. If you were too young to know what it was, you certainly found out. And then, of course, you went, oh, someone who hasn't had sex yet. And then you're looking up sex. Yeah, <laughs> yes. It's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, it was a whole rabbit hole. That's right. And she also dedicated the album to the virgins of the world. Oh, there you go. She was celebrating virginity. I love it. I don't remember thinking any of it was scandalous, but I do remember I was so young when I was getting into her that I didn't know what a virgin was. So I asked my mom, what what is what does virgin mean? And she told me to Did ask my grandma <laughs> who gave me the non-sexual definition because you know what? something can be virgin, it just means it's untouched. So like a virgin vase or a virgin water or something is very clean and pure and that's what madonna always said that she thought the song was about too she she always said that she didn't think it was sexual at all i still can't get over that i was about to think i was thinking as chad told that story how incredible that he had that relationship with his mother where he felt he could ask that question because a lot of people don't and then and then mum redirects him go go and ask that lady over there well i didn't know it was sexual honestly at first i didn't know so maybe had i known i wouldn't have asked but well, she Thank did you, well Chad. with the definition she gave you to steer you away from it. So yeah, <laughs> made my <laughs> nothing day. to so see what, here. Great. That's amazing. I love that story. Thank you, Chad. That will be carried with me throughout the day. <laughs> All right, let's look at some of the tracks on "Like a Virgin." Now we haven't even mentioned 
the one that she has um, grappled with throughout her career and probably personally as well. The opening mm. track on Like a Virgin is Material Girl, which I think there was a point there where I was so disappointed. It might have been around the girly show Erotica era where she said in an interview, and I think it was an Australian interview, I will never sing that song again. And my mm. heart sank because I, I love it. Yes. But I think but she has since, so she's overturned yes, that she, decision. She clearly. did it, but she changed it up a lot. Well, I just love this song. I I watched this when I was very, very little, the video clip and all of that, and it was very – it had an allure to it. Like, it was just so good to get into. And now I realise that it was Marilyn Monroe's um, performance of Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend that she was sort of mimicking, mm-hmm. and it was that whole thing um, from the 1950s. And, um, and I knew that it was sort of something like that, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But, yeah, it's a really – it's the video clips great, and it was a huge smash, and um, and it and it was part of the image that she sort of propagated in, into youth. I didn't like. It. I always found it interesting how in the video she doesn't have the Marilyn Monroe hairdo like she would adapt in later years for True Blue and I'm Breathless and Vogue and Just Find My Love. And I always find it interesting how she had this the same hairstyle back then. It would have looked like more of a copy rather than a tribute, I think. Mm. So I think it's interesting mm. that she chose to do her hair completely different so that this there was still some Madonna in there. That video is obviously way more production value and everything uh, than anything she had done before. Um, both, both music videos from this album. But uh, yeah. I didn't know that either until later that it was Marilyn Monroe. Somebody's saying that the music itself isn't very good. That's, I, that's I didn't, over there. I didn't nice. like that's it. That's not very nice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to be honest. At the time, I liked it, but sort of now, I can't, it, it is very much of its time, isn't it? It's yes. all about. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very eighties. It's very money. It's very, you know, you know, give me presents, that kind of stuff. Um, and I can understand oh, why, yeah. you know, she wouldn't want to sing it again. I don't know. It hasn't aged well, I feel like. I listened to the whole thing on vinyl in, uh, you know, anticipation of this. And it was the one song that I just wasn't feeling kind of as much as some of the others. But it's a huge hit for her. And uh, like you said, uh, Tim, she's always wrestled with um, having you know, to be the material girl because that's become her moniker. And uh, she's railed against that ever since. So I think when she made that comment about, I don't ever want to do that song again, it was more about that than uh, anything else. But she makes a flippant comment like that and everyone takes it so seriously, I think. And she's always making just off-the-cuff comments like that. This isn't one of my favorite songs of hers because I do think it's been very played out over the years. People always reference it. But I do think, you know, Tim was saying in the beginning, she wanted this album to make an impact and she wanted this to be an album that defined her. And whether she liked it or not, an aspect of this album did define her. People started calling her the material girl. And I think that she could see i think she said that it had kitsch value in one of her later interviews along with like a virgin and i think she could see that and i think that's probably why she gravitated towards this song she knew that there was something about it that would stick with people yeah she said it was like um all in jest like it was almost like a sarcastic song completely and that ironic there wasn't she didn't actually mean it yeah, I- ironic, but was it at the time or was is that like uh, 
revisionist uh, of her to say it later. Um, exactly but you can definitely hear the well, tone in the song that it's it's kind of meant to be ironic. From what I hear, though, from what I hear, and I wasn't alive in the 80s, but from what I hear, there was a lot of like obsession with like wealth and money. And, and I don't know if this was just an American thing or what, but a lot of people seem to think that it was like a social commentary on that. And maybe that's why people took it literally, because that was kind of a thing at that time. I don't know. Well, let's hear from Madonna herself on this. Um, there's there's a quote, and I love what you said, Chad, there about uh, Madonna being um, a revisionist because she is the ultimate history revisionist, I have to say, um, honestly. Her quote about Material Girl is this, I can't completely disdain the song or the video because they certainly were important to my career, but talk about the media hanging on to a phrase and misinterpreting the damn thing as well. I didn't write that song, you know, and the video was about how the girl rejected diamonds and money, but God forbid irony should be understood. So when I'm 90, I'll still be the Material Girl. I guess it's not so bad. Lana Turner was the sweater girl until the day she died. Yeah, right. It's not supposed to be self-referential. She's almost mocking this sort of culture. And then she sends a message because in the end, she doesn't choose somebody for money. She chooses them for like love. So. Everyone in this uh, panel, though, is pretty harsh on this song. I love the song. Yeah, I mean, so do I. It's incredible. It's a it's a great song. I've heard it too many times. Yes, that's like the so only many songs, but I, I just think it's amazing. You've done a karaoke version of this when oh, you were about six. Yes, when I was very little. <laughs> what was it called? Sing Star. Yeah, on Sing Star. That's and right. you've got footage of it. Yes. Maybe I'll intersplice it in here. Permission <laughs> no. granted. Material Girl. Um, versions on tour. Um, we love the version of Material Girl, uh, the Rebel Heart, right? Yes. I, th- I thought that was really good how she reinvented it and slowed it down and uh, had the great staging for it. Yeah, definitely. And the Blonde Ambition tour is one of my favourites as well. I thought that was quite a, you know, it, because that tour could have run the risk of being taking itself too seriously. Mm. But then she threw in element that that's why she's such a genius when it comes to live performance. Oh, yeah. Like, she, she knows how to structure it. It was just a great moment in there. It was the right timing, the right point yes. in the show where she needed to do something yeah, like right. that yeah mm-hmm. yeah i i found it interesting that even by 87 with the who's that girl tour she was already completely flipping the song on its head and not doing it um in earnest anymore she was doing it with that uh real strong um over the top silliness and uh, almost uh, accent that she would you know affect that she would put on it yeah, and I think that's what made the bon- yeah. the Blonde Ambition Tour version so great is the uh, the accent and the obvious like tongue in cheek way that she was singing it. It's almost like she wanted it to be more obvious to people the irony that the song actually right. was to her. Track two, unlike a virgin, is Angel, which was released. Um, I'm I'm not a big fan of this song. I never have been. I don't hate it though at all. I love this I, song. I just, it yeah, was a big, I do big too. success. I love this song. Honestly, when I heard the album in full, uh, it's always interesting after some time goes by and you hear an album just in a sitting, which people don't do anymore. But uh, I love that experience. And it's like a breath of fresh air as track number two after the the sonics of Material Girl, which are so Hmm. almost kind of nasal and like um, stacked on top of each other. 
it has like this different feel and it does just feel like a breath of fresh air. And uh, this album only had two music videos as opposed to the four from the first album. There's a couple that are like, you know, uh, dress you up as a live compilate, you know, from the live tour and into the groove is just movie clips. So like a Virgin material girl are really the only like original full force music videos and I always, I know she was super busy around this time, but it would have been so amazing to get Dress You Up and this song, Angel, which were both singles, as full-fledged music videos. Well, I think she probably would have done a video for it had Into the Groove not completely overshadowed it. Um, I think this song should yeah. have been a much bigger hit than mm-hmm. Material Girl and Like a Virgin. To me, the song is better than both of those songs combined. Um, that might be controversial to say, but you know, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's my opinion. I feel like, and I think part of the, the reason why Chad, you said you feel like it's a breath of fresh air is because this song, her vocals are in her natural range. Yes, They didn't speed it up. It's not higher pitched. So I think that that's what makes this song stand out on this album. And that's what makes it a really, really great track. And it's really catchy. It, it deserves to be much more successful and much more memorable. It seems like the only people that truly mention this song or love this song are people that were like around at that time who were like listening to the album and experiencing the singles when they came out. But people like in the years since, this song kind of gets railroaded by other, you know, other songs. Um, I heard this song for the first time last night and I was really blown away. I didn't know that it was such a good song. I'd seen it written down on the track listing and I was like, oh, I probably haven't heard that because it's not that good. But when I listened, I thought it was fantastic and, and definitely worthy of being a single. Um, and yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying. Yeah, and she did it on the Virgin tour. She performed it, but they cut it out of the home video release, unfortunately. Oh, along with wow. Borderline and Burning Up. I I loved Angel. It was like, like other people have said it wasn't she was singing in a in a natural voice. It wasn't that kind of squeaky higher pitch that that of from Material Girl and like a Virgin. Um and just reading about it, apparently there was supposed to be a video a music video for it. She wanted to do a music video for it, but they decided to go against it because there were there were I think there was five videos that were already um, on music channels already, so she didn't want to kind of overload with with more images of her. Um, but it is a really lovely song. Um, it, it, a couple of years ago, it was covered by um, Darren Hayes, the the singer from yeah. Cabbage Garden, and it was lovely. It, it kind of oh good. Yeah, it's a really lovely song. So taking away the kind of like eighties nostalgia, it stands up as a as a well written pop song. At, at this time, she also had "Crazy for You" and uh, "Gambler" from Vision Quest, and those two had videos as well. And um, I th- I don't know specifically when those were out, but I think they also may have been out around this time, which is probably another reason why the song didn't get the you know attention that it deserved. The title song and single number one from Like a Virgin is Like a Virgin. She was sort of flagging that this was coming before it was released. I saw a few interviews with her going, yeah, my next single is Like a Virgin. And then all of a sudden, I made it through the wilderness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was so like, well, she, high, like she, someone pinching she, your nose. This was one of those songs that she was really excited to put out. And I do like it. I think that it's really, really good. It's 
I think better than Material Girl in terms of her, you know, signature songs from this period. Um, I I have to say I tend to prefer some of the live versions instead of this version. Um, I think the Blonde Ambition version was great. I know that people rag on the girly show version, but to me, that's my favorite of all of them because she sings the uh, Marlena <laughs> Dietrich that version. Fall in Love Again, Can't Help It. And that is just so perfect. And like it makes the song. Gun. Yes. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about it. It was it's quite peculiar. It's one of those songs that as soon as you hear the first couple of notes, you know the song immediately. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, th- this is the song. Um, I have visited Venice in the past sort of 10 years. I may or may not have recreated a part of that video myself. Um, <laughs> it is bit iconic. Um, the the Talking of, you know, going back to my grandmother, when um, the Truth or Dare um, video came out, um, the, the concert, that that performance nearly killed her. Um, you know, <laughs> on the, um, you know, on the bed with the crucifix, and yeah, um, mm-hmm. that that Why was. Why did awkward. you let your grandmother watch that, Lee? You're cruel. Well, we didn't know Are she was going to gonna do that. We were kind was of was she just... leaving you a big inheritance or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that awkward. Like, oh, oh, yeah, she's doing that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's it, 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 it's an amazing song. Um, yeah. And, I, and I think stands the test of time more than perhaps Material Girl does. It, it its baseline is is right from Billie Jean, though, right? I mean, you gotta you gotta acknowledge that. Yeah, and that's why she mashed it up in the live uh, the tour. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, we can't talk about like a virgin as as stratospheric as it was without going down the blonde ambition route because it's feminism, it's art its sexuality, its controversy. This was like a powerful performance to say the least. It actually meant something. Uh, it was not frivolous. That performance of Like a Virgin was incredibly powerful. And also um, given the context of the what happened in Toronto, which is covered in the movie, Truth or Dare, of how they were going to arrest her for doing this performance, and then they immediately cut to the performance of her doing the performance. And it, it just, it, you really got, what that tour was all about and also the context of the time that it was in in truth or dare it's actually footage from paris of course when they cut to it so it's not that night but if you you can find on youtube the actual performance of that show uh there's multiple i think there's at least two um toronto shows that are up on on youtube um so when you watch them she's doing everything like times 10 so like grabbing her crotch the f-bombs she's like amping it up uh so it's fascinating to see and of course she has the ponytail in that didn't she kind of say they're telling me i I can't do it but i'm gonna do it even more so um yeah (laughs) she'll get in all the papers that's what she (laughs) that's what she liked and also, but I have a little thing about this. I, I can't believe, if this is true, that Nile Rodgers almost didn't want this to be on the album because he said that it didn't have a good enough hook uh, with the chorus. But then he said after it got st- stuck in his head, then he realised, oh, yeah, this, this song's got a lot of potential. That is interesting. And he said Madonna saw it from the first moment and he credits her with, you know, always being able to tell early yeah. on. Mm. And, yeah. I heard that this song was originally written as a ballad. 
I think it was originally written as a slow song. I'm not sure if that demo is um, has leaked on the internet or not, but I heard that it was originally a slow romantic like love song. I believe that this is the track where fairly recently, uh, I think there were, correct me if I'm wrong because I might be thinking of the wrong song, but there are two writers and they actually break down how they wrote this song in great detail. There's a 15-minute mini documentary on YouTube. You can go and look yeah. it up. And it was really, really interesting. I loved watching it. It was Ooh. like the deconstruction of this song. Tom Kelly and Billy Steinberg. Yeah, that's gr- they, a great video. They were huge back in the 80s. They wrote so many good hit songs. They they shared a story in that video about how about approaching her around the Dick Tracy era uh, at a party uh, when she was with Warren Beatty and saying, "Oh hey, you know, I, I was." Ne- he said he was nervous. He really wanted to like maybe pitch her more songs, but he went up to her and said, "Oh hey, you know, uh, we're I'm one of the guys that wrote Like a Virgin," and she's like. And he said, I've always wanted to meet you because he had actually never met her. And she said, well, now you have. And she walked away. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That's so Madonna. (laughs) Well, I do want to mention, before we go to the next track too, Weird Al did an amazing parody of this song called Like a Surgeon. And in the video, he kind of recreates some of her dance moves from the video the rolling around being wheeled through the hospital, like she was being wheeled down on the boat. And there's a lion roaming around the hospital as well in that video, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. You either like Weird Al Yankovic or you don't. I think he's an absolute lunatic myself. I mean, it's not very clever to go like a virgin, like a surgeon, bad, fat, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) There is a story though, that I remember the director, Mary Lambert, she was doing an interview um, and they asked her about the video on the lion particularly. And she said that the lion tamer um, almost had kind of a, he had kind of like a weird reaction when he stepped on the set because the entire crew was female. And he said, you know, if anybody has their period on the set, the lion's oh. just going to go crazy and oh. it could be very dangerous. Oh. And she kind of laughed and thought it was funny. She was like, Oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Wow. Wow. Oh, that is disturbing. Well, yeah. Clearly no one would be, yeah, usually if anyone was going to be devoured, Madonna would be doing the devouring. So I'm glad that didn't happen, I've got to say. Track four on the album, over and over. Go on, Megs. What do you make of this track? Uh, this one it was very repetitive, and I don't <laughs> think that it's really a necessary uh, part of the album. <laughs> <laughs> be like a deleted scene type thing it should be on there <laughs> um, that's all i have listen i love how polite you are i mean you'll grow up you'll eventually just say it how I'll it just, is that was I the most it. sanitized version <laughs> yeah, I, know. I hate it i hate it <laughs> no look it's just yeah, I, I don't it didn't Fair capture enough. me at all Fair after three listens i gave it a big chance so you gave it a big chance yeah Good on you. <laughs> Anyone else? i love this song i first heard this song on the you can dance album before I got the Like a Virgin album. And I completely fell in love with it. I love the message. I love what it's saying. It's very catchy. It puts you in a good mood. Uh, To me, this is one of those standouts on the album. All right. So there's one in that corner and the other person in that corner. Lee, which corner are you going to walk towards? Have you got your walking cane? (laughs) Uh, Shuffle towards a corner, please, Lee. Uh, 
I wasn't keen, I have to say. It's okay. It usually got skipped. So when I was kind of in my, my you know, teenage um, bedroom with my hairbrush, I would, you know, lift the stylus and move that one over. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. It's a no dog. Um, it's not one of my favorite ones, but I will give it this on the tour, the Virgin tour. It's really, it's a good moment because she's got the tambourine and the energy of the song is like great for, you know, a live interpretation. So I think it really, like really works on the tour, but it's just one of my least favorite songs on this album. Love Don't Live Here Anymore, track five. This is definitely uh, a remake of an earlier track, and but Madonna's version is, uh, I love the production of this. She, resurrects, she resurrected it in the Rebel Heart tour, and, you know, you've abandoned me. Rocco. You know what? I got to be honest. I don't get this song. I, it's her vocals sound great. It's a nice way to showcase her voice and her talent as a singer. And the song's not bad, but I, I just don't understand. To me, there are so many ballads that could have been so much better than this that could have filled the ballad slot on this album. To me, this song just is forgettable. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Well, for me, I learned an interesting story about this, and I love this song. Um, I just think it's very powerful. And apparently Nile Rogers says that there was a choir in the uh, recording studio when she was singing it, and she she was a bit nervous about the whole thing, but when she started singing it, she was overcome with emotions, especially towards the end, and she started crying. Um, and he said he left it on the record, and it sort of made her sound like a soul singer. I wonder if she was thinking about her mother. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. because the lyrics are very potent and very real. and I just think it's interesting when she re-released it, like around 96, was it? 95, 96, and um, did a new music video for it um, while she was pregnant, I believe. And it's just like one long track dolly shot in what looks like an abandoned, it's not the greatest music video, but it was just a nice moment to like see it come back and be on something to remember. That gives me another clue that this means something like the connection of, of maternity and because yeah. there it was, she's emotional at that time and yes. then she's pregnant and about to become a mother. Yes. Hmm, interesting. Just really good links. Yeah, that, I think that's definitely true. Dress You Up, track six on Like a Virgin. This is a fun song. Going to dress you up in my love. I like this because she sort of refers to. I, I like. I like the lyrics. Um, yes. she loves the what lyrics. What is it? Too, Suits Dad. from London, yeah, or just like Madonna. Does yeah. she say that too? She does she? She, loved, she chose this solely because of the lyrics. Initially, it wasn't even going to be on the album. We nearly lost it, hmm. and she said, "No, I love the lyrics. It's going on." It was sort of a last-minute thing. Yeah. yeah. So even though they didn't allow her to produce this album, it sounds like she really did. Oh, yeah. She, she pushed <laughs> Nile Rogers to do things that he wouldn't have done otherwise. No, well, it sounds like Nile Rogers, even though legendary, as I've been told he yes. is, he might be a little bit in doubt, that status. Like, so far you're telling me like a virgin he was a bit ho-hum about, oh, and now he's saying, dress no, you up. No, hmm, no. Not no, sure about no, that one. No. He's great. He's great. And, and he really, they had a great musical union. Like, they really spoke to each other and loved don't defend the band. I mean, he's no, he, he, wanna, he almost did some terrible things. No, do you want to hear his quote? <laughs> yeah, go on. <laughs> the thing between us, man, it was sexual, it was passionate, Ooh. it was creativity, it was pop. This is the best quote ever. All at the same time. Yes, it was all of those That's things. a graphic image. And Madonna would have ditto that. 
<laughs> they did. They've, they've obviously got a very great respect for each other. Mm. Go mm. on, let's throw it out, dress you up. So, fun fact about this song, <clears throat> this was actually uh, Keith Haring's favorite song on this album, along with Like a Virgin. He uh, told a story in his autobiography about how right before the album came out, she played the whole album for him. And he said that this song and Like a Virgin were his two favorites. And at his birthday party at the Paradise Garage, she actually did a performance of both Like a Virgin and this song. So just a little fun fact about Dress You Up. I like it. I think it, the lyrics are great. The double entendre is really cleverly thrown in there. This was also a song that in um, 85, I think it was, Tipper Gore, who's the wife of Al Gore in the United States, had a list called the Filthy 15 of like 15 different songs that they felt were like too sexual or too like, you know, explicit for children to listen to. And this was one of those songs on that list. I think Prince was on that list as well. Um, And uh, it was uh, caused a little bit of a controversy, you know, back then. Yeah. Crazy. This is controversial. I'm struggling to see that anyway. Yeah. Don't know. That's crazy stuff. Lee. I liked it. It's a it's a it's a fun song. It in in the UK it was released just before Christmas, and it was released on a star shaped picture disc that everybody wanted to get hold of. Um, it has nothing to do with Christmas at all. They didn't even kind of like put some sleigh bells on it to kind of sell it. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of the restart. Yeah, it was it was it was good. It was a nice. It's it was a hairbrush song. Yeah, we didn't skip that on on the on the album when we sang into it. Yeah, didn't she uh, do a performance on Ellen? Oh, don't song? mention Ellen. And She's she, evil. No, but she has like dressing gown or whatever and the hair things. and Yeah, no. Just like you said, the hair brush. Actually, her voice sounded good on that because it's very hard to sound good at karaoke because yes. karaoke doesn't lend itself to anyway. Yeah. It was a good performance. It was good. And I love this song. I reckon it's my favorite on the album. Really? Mm, I think what? so. I think so. Oh. Well, this is my hands down favorite song on this album. It is oh, so... Yeah, amazing and iconic to me and it's so indicative of this era right like everyone dressing like her it's almost like she just knew that that was gonna ramp up like all the girls dressing Mm. like her and this is like the perfect song uh like like you were saying in the mirror with the hairbrush like trying to dress like her and and be her and be fascinated by her and uh Rocco mentioned the um Keith Haring birthday party that was like a full six months before the album even dropped that she performed Dress You Up. So this people must have just been like stunned to see that in person. But uh, Well, he's, he actually said he actually said that there were people that were there who didn't really get it because she wasn't a big name right. yet. And he said that there were some people who were like at the party who were like, who is that? <laughs> you know, and Keith Haring said they something were- like, she's going to be the biggest star in the world. Just you wait and see. Now, Madonna prides herself on being a songwriter. Okay, and rightly so, because she yeah. has written and contributed to some of the best songs in pop She wrote history. six on this one, I think. She did. Yeah. However, there are moments, and every fan respectfully knows this, when Madonna should never have put pen to paper <laughs> and <laughs> oh my gosh. seven. I know where this oh. is going. I actually hadn't heard the whole Like a Virgin album. I'd heard nearly every track, but... Mm. 
in research for this, I put on the album and I'm listening to it. Yeah. I'm cleaning up your bedroom and <laughs> making your food. Oh, thank you. And packing your lunch and buying your car yeah. and doing all the things, worshipping oh. the ground you walk on and listening to this at the same time. And this song comes on in the background and I'm like, what the hell is this? What the hell is that? And I went to the screen and it's called Shooby Doo. It is up there with the B Day song, as far as I'm, which is quite funny that it's called the B Day song, by the way, because if anyone knows what a B Day is. Yeah. But nonetheless, Shooby Doo, OMG. Uh, go over the top. No, I'm not over the top. This is, I don't think it's I can't that believe bad. they recorded it and then said, we'll leave it there. Like you record that, fair enough, and go, oh, that was a mistake. Like, you don't record it and then go, I'll put it on the album. It's a do what genre of the Yes. <laughs> that, there was something they were trying to hit at with Dude, the doo-wop and the girl groups and that old uh, sound yeah. that this song encapsulates. And I think that's why they kind of included yeah. it. I, look, I don't like it either, but I don't hate it like you. I don't understand where this hate's coming from. Sorry, but anyone who's going to vaguely defend this needs to go and stand outside in the thunderstorm <laughs> out there. And I really mean that. Come on, Lee, you were around at the time. Don't yeah. tell me you've sung this into your hairbrush. You must no, have this is the one I, track you didn't sing into the hairbrush. I just don't. I, d- I don't really have a, a lot of recollection about it, to be honest with you. I'm looking at the lyrics now. Should <laughs> Bidu ulala, ula, come to me, baby. Don't say maybe. Come to me, baby. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Do you know what? It reminds me of like a Neil Sedaka song, but with a girl singing. I'm not, yeah. I'm not. It's not. I'm yeah. not a fan. Yeah. Those, those aren't the most sophisticated lyrics I've ever heard. Yeah. But you can't, like, them, I can't take okay. it anymore, baby. Why don't you dry your eyes and try and realize? Yeah, it's like all the. It's like <laughs> I'm gonna sit and make things rhyme, words rhyme with other words, um, and then put Shooby Doo in it as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like if she was going for the girl group thing, she could have tried to write a song that was much catchier than this. And what Lee just said is so right. I can listen to this song so many times and at the end of the song i won't remember how any of it went like i won't be able to sing it back to you it doesn't stick even tiffany would have rejected this song for one of her albums (laughs) it's just it makes me shudder like it's embarrassing i I hate the fact that it's there as this big black blip on her um music back catalog but it's a bit of a shame because she said she wanted no filler on this album and then she does, she puts this song on it, and it's like, well, that's a bit of a shame. No, yeah, you're coming around now. I like no, this. No, I know what I like. <coughs> I don't hate it, but, you know, it is just a shame. It's, Unless, it's a shame. you know, like at, the, at the time that she, you know, she was, that was where she was at her writing skills, you know, developing as an artist. Would she have written something like that? You know, ten years later, probably not. She's kind of, you know, oh, she's no. grown she's up. Still capable of the odd dad, there, Lee. She's very <laughs> capable of the dad. But she had also been developing for a long time as a songwriter, and her songwriting skills were incredible at this time. So it's really no excuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, she no was a great excuse, songwriter. So I think we'll round this conversation off by using a quote from you, Megs, which was <laughs> "Shooby do." That's a shame. Because <laughs> <laughs> you did say well, that. Well, I wish I'd said that about over and over too, because they, <laughs> I, I put them both in the same little camp. 
Track eight, Pretender. We're back to form here. Uh, Stephen Bray came and uh, put his arm around Madonna at this point because come away from the shooby-doo and let's write a song together. Come all on. Right. No, no, it's all right. Come, come with me. Come come and sit down. And she's going, no, leave me alone. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Come back. Come come over here. I've got a great song. It's called Pretender. Yeah. Which I probably because we was watching her write shooby-doo. Yeah. <laughs> right. What are we making a Pretender? This is a song that <clears throat> if I'm listening to the album and I'm listening to it the whole way through, I'll listen to the song and I'll enjoy it for what it is. But this isn't a song that I go back to on its own. This this one and Stay uh, are similar to me. And they are both my favorite of the, like, the non-single, non-standout um, type songs. Um, I, I like how both of them are kind of have more of a dance feel and tempo and style. Um, and I like her vocals on this one and that one. So, yeah, I like it. It's 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 very Madonna, isn't it? It's it. Listening to it again, it could be on True Blue. You could kind of imagine it's that kind of style. It's not it's not like a standout, but you know, I I I wouldn't kick it out of bed in the morning. It's you know, it's you know, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Lee's awesome. I think the opening really grabs me. I actually quite like the hook, like the undertone. Mm. Um, but it's, it's just a little bit underwhelming as you go on. Like it just repeats, and it's but it's decent. I would say it's a decent song. Well, stay on track here. What do you make of uh, on the standard edition at least for final track? Is stay. Yes, um, I I don't think it's single quality, and I think it should have been the way it is. But I actually think it's really good. It, it has a good hook. It's it's enjoyable. It's just it's just not a, a single type song. You can tell it's a, it's a, just another one of the album song, but that's fine. Um, this was one of the early demos that she and Stephen Bray were working on um, before she started working on her first album. So there is some history to this song, which I find interesting. Um, but yeah, it's it's not. I don't know. It doesn't. Nothing. There's nothing exciting about this song to me. I don't think. Which is, which is disappointing, isn't it? Because on a pop record, uh, you need a fantastic closer. You just do. Yeah. Uh, even if it is a ballad or if it's a big chart stomper or whatever, you need a good rounding off. And Madonna's really good at that, actually, usually. Uh, Stay mm. is a bit underwhelming, isn't it? What yes. do you reckon, Chad? Well, uh, this is the song. Um, what's the song Don't You Know became? Oh, or, is that right? Or is that where? Or I think that okay. So stay had a demo, but there was also a demo called "Don't You Know" on on pre Madonna, and I think some of those lyrics came through to the final stay song. But uh, oh. it's really good. Um, but uh, the demo is really good. I didn't know they were related. That's interesting. Well, I was listening to it today, and you know, I was singing, and I started singing True Blue along to it because it sounded literally like a version of True Blue, the kind of backing and stuff, um, which isn't a horrible thing. Um, but like you say, it, it, it's not an it's not like an amazing closing of an album. It's a nice pop song. And we will circle back to Into the Groove, which I believe is track six. Yes, I, I was going to ask if we were going to. The mm. reissue. I, I'm 
like I would like to go back in a time cap, uh, a time tunnel, whatever you call it, and go back. It's a, like they reissued this really quite quickly. So I don't know. There has to be a story around Into the Groove maybe being written after this was out and they wanted to add it because it was so good. I don't I know because you've already explained, Rocco, haven't you? This was the B side of, of Angel. So that was the story behind it. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Into the Groove, like for me, this is. Um, Look, I was lucky. I hadn't heard this song until I watched the Blonde Ambition tour, which I think is a rare thing. Most people would have known it and then saw it, seen it on tour. That's what you normally do. But for me, it was like, oh my God, this is just awesome yeah. and quite simple, mm. the choreography and, and the performance actually, but quite powerful. She had a safe sex message, I think, was at the beginning of this song too. Not that that bears into why I like the song or not, but I just remember watching Blonde Ambition and A being knocked out by it anyway and then this performance of this song comes along and i'm like i've never heard it before and jesus it's good it's amazing i have a feeling it might be one of the biggest songs of her career too i think Mm. so it was first in the uk um on certain charts and it's just uh, i i if you don't mind if i go first i've got two stories about this one tell us a story megs well apparently and i don't know if this is verified or anything or if it's just like something she said or something but apparently she wrote it while she was watching a handsome puerto rican man uh on her balcony and so why was he on her balcony no no he meant to be she was on her balcony (laughs) was he trying to break in oh she was on her balcony (laughs) she was on her balcony and, and she, the Puerto Rican wasn't on the back. He was somewhere else. Yes, Dad. And, and apparently she wrote it while I was looking at him. She's got an inspiration from him. So that's interesting. Did he hurt her? Um, Dad, stop. And there's <laughs> a second story that apparently Stephen Bray was a bit... Maybe he was cleaning. Stop. He wasn't on the balcony. Stephen Bray was a bit... Un, um, he, he wasn't a big fan of the bridge of this song. But then when he said that... Madonna went to the microphone and then sung the lines, live out your fantasy here with me. And then he was awestruck, he said. He said the song seemed to come out of her. And, and then from that moment on, he knew it was a good bridge. Oh, so good. That's another good story. I love the bridge. It's yes, just so it's good. A, it's an amazing bridge. Like it's a bit different to most, though. It's like it's a yes. bit out of character, yes. but it's perfect the way it does it. Yes, that's it, it is. I don't know. I, I'm not a music writer by any means, but there's mm. something slightly differently constructed about this yeah. song, makes it stand out, and it probably is around that bridge part, I would say. It sort of drops and becomes a bit more euphoric or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's just so good. And, um, Lee, do you know how to do the choreography from the Blonde Ambition Tour? Because it's quite simple. I don't, but, but I was that Puerto Rican boy. Um, so, you know, it was written about me. So I'm going to take that as, as, as my claim to fame. Um, I, I don't know. I just love the song. It's just, it's just an amazing song that is of it. Stands up as well now as it did back then. And the mixes and the 12 inch mixes of it, um, are just fantastic. Um, it's brilliant. This is one of those songs you hear it once and you're like, that's a hit record. And I love, love, love Desperately Seeking Susan. Um, I wanted to be that character when I was 12 years old, watching that movie for the first time. Um, I love the Shep Pettibone remix Mm. that I believe, I believe first appeared on You Can Dance and then an edit version appeared later on the Immaculate Collection. To me, that version is my favorite version of the song i love his keyboard part in the middle it adds so much to that record and it's just such a great song it's one of those timeless records it doesn't feel like an 80s record it feels like it transcends all periods of time really 
Mm. Yeah, definitely yeah. one of my all-time favorite songs, hands down. If it if it was, and it was at one point, on Like a Virgin, it would be my favorite song on Like a Virgin. But of course, I grew up with the U.S. release where it was not on Like a Virgin. And I feel like it doesn't fit. And I think part of that is me growing up not hearing it on the album. But another part of it is that they stuck it before Dress You Up right at the top of the B-side of the album in the sequencing. So I think if they had maybe sequenced it a little bit differently, I just feel like Dress You Up should really start off the B-side of this album. Um, Also, it was a single, uh, like an A-side single in the UK, Japan, and Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a B-side in the US uh, for Angel. And I think that version came out in the UK too. I don't know, but um, Mm. it definitely did have a single release. To think that Into the Groove was just a B-side. I, 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 I don't know who made that decision initially, but, you know, the public knows what they want. So It was a miscalculation, definitely. It's a standalone track now, though. The man who made that decision ended up having to clean Madonna's balconies for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the Puerto Rican man. No, it wasn't me. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe not. How did Like a Virgin, the album, perform around the world? Has anyone got any statistics, any juicy facts? I know they're good. How did it go? It was pretty much top three in every place it was released. Um, mm. It was number one in the UK. It was her first number one album in the US. Yeah. Certified Diamond, um, one of the best-selling albums of all time. They didn't like it in Holland, though. It only got to number twenty-two. I don't know what what she'd done to to the Danish people, but they weren't they weren't going for that. <laughs> Look at that in Australia, seven times platinum, which is massive. Like if you get a platinum album in Australia, that's really good. Whenever I like seven something, times. my fellow Australians like it too. It it always makes me so happy. We have good taste, like you said in the last podcast. Absolutely, we do. Mm. The best taste. <laughs> yeah. I think Like a Virgin made people think that she was very, she, she, there was a very good chance that she would be a household name and, a, and someone that was, you know, had staying power. And then I think True Blue kind of certified that for everybody. Made, yeah. True Blue kind of made her an icon, I think, way more than ever before. So here's one uh, review written at the time, Stephen from Stephen Earl Wine from All Music. Overall, the album adds up to less than the sum of its parts, partially because the singles are so good, but also because on the first album, she stunned with style and a certain joy. Here, unlike a virgin, the calculation is apparent, and whilst that's part of Madonna's essence, even something that makes her fun, it throws the record's balance off a little too much for it to be consistent even if it justifiably made her a star, which is pretty much what I said in the opening. Like yeah. this cemented her, like in, in terms of her status, it really did, even though the album as a whole, if you were just to look at it completely objectively, is not as strong, as no. certainly not as her first work or the no, work that came after. Even though that's her aim was to smash her first work in quality out of the water, but she, she only did that with the charts and the singles. Like, each single is phenomenal. But, so. Megs, how do you measure the success of something, right? When you think yeah. about think about it differently, look at look at the measurement tool as something different. Reputationally, in terms, well, of, her, in terms of her legacy, like a virgin, material girl, my goodness. I mean, these are the things she's still known for, 
those two tracks to this day. She's called the yes. Material Girl, and everyone knows Madonna and Like a Virgin go hand in glove. Yes, yes, definitely. Even non-Madonna fans know Like a Virgin. Thirty-six years later, because that's eighteen plus eighteen. Even though the first album had more singles and hits and music videos than this album yes. did, that's interesting to me. Go on, uh, Lee. Give us your final thoughts on this album. Do you still listen to it? Where does it rank? And do you do what it seems like every single pop fan does? Do you rank these albums? Do you get them all out on your living room floor and move like a virgin sometimes because you're angry at it, you move it down? <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you know what, what my like a virgin album is in a frame and it's on not the wall? The yeah, not in oh, the attic. Good. I have that on the wall because I like the artwork is amazing. So, yeah, for, for aesthetically, that is good. Um, um, it's not something that I listen to. I would probably listen to some of the singles more than the album tracks. Get into the groove, obviously, um, um, is is fantastic. Um, but in the scheme of Madonna albums, it's not my favourite. Um, if I was giving it a score out of 10, I'd probably give it a 7. Because um, there's some great stuff on there, but there is, you know, there's quite a lot of filler. Okay, so first I want to do two honorable mentions. I want to talk about Crazy For You and Gambler, um, oh. because I because I think they deserve to be discussed within the context of this uh, era. Um, I think Crazy For You is a beautiful ballad. To me, it's like Into The Groove. It's an instant hit. Um, it just grabs you. It's emotional, melodic. It really, really hits you in the feels, as they say. And to me, that really, really should have been like the ballad of this album, I feel like. Um, I also love Gambler. I think it's such a great song. Um, I love the lyrics. It's very in your face and aggressive and it, it confrontational. And I, I just love it. I love the Virgin Tour performance and um, I wish she would remaster it at some point and re-release it. Um, but it's great and I feel like those two songs need to have their recognition. Um, as an album, I like it. It's not perfect, um, but when it's good, it's really, really, really good. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Rocco was saying. For me, I would have chosen Gambler almost instead of Over and Over because they're both those like driving like ambition songs, ones one, with just different spins on the message in a way. But I like Gambler so much more um, and Crazy For You. Ugh, if those songs had been on there, that album in a way. But uh, she was doing so many different projects for like different movies and, and had so many things going on at once. So for me, I'm almost more in love with like this era and this Madonna than I am even this particular album. I just love the era. And um, I think this is how most people fell in love with Madonna, certainly at the time. Uh, nobody wants to share a, a virginity, a losing their virginity story before we go to them. I know, oh, that's just crass, isn't it? Yeah. Can't do that, <laughs> no comment from the peanut gallery. I'm still a virgin, so I can't, I can't say anything. <laughs> I, have, I have yet to experience that love. He has a very intimate relationship with his cane. Okay. <laughs> uh, you guys have been fantastic. Thanks for talking all things like a virgin. It's been a joy and a pleasure. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. You're and welcome. Thanks, Tim.